Hello, everyone. February was a very active month on Counter Melody, as every day of that month I posted a link to a previous Counter Melody episode, all of them celebrating artists of color. This was supplemented, of course, by four new episodes published each Friday. And I'm so grateful to all of you who participated in discussing those posts, listening to the episodes, and acknowledging the artists heard therein. This means so much to me because it's part of our history, one of the most important things that I do on this podcast. I'm so grateful for all of you for going on that journey with me. And it just so happens that today I am also featuring an African-American singer who is one of my very favorites. I can't wait. But before we get into that, I did also want to thank Christian for becoming my newest supporter on Patreon. You know the spiel at this point, right? If you want to become a supporter, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody and you can make either a yearly or a monthly pledge. I'm very grateful to Christian for his pledge of support, and I'm so excited about today's artist, who happens to be celebrating her birthday this very day. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Guntlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. Today is the birthday of that sublime soprano, Roberta Alexander. Let's begin with one of her most rare, but also most exquisite recordings. This is a live recording from February 1982 of Roberta Alexander singing the four last songs of Richard Strauss. We shall hear the first in that sequence, Frühling, as spring appears finally to be in the air. She is accompanied here by the Dutch National Youth Orchestra, led by Adam Gatehouse.
For those of you who listen to Counter Melody with any regularity, you will know that whenever I get the chance to spin some Roberta Alexander, I'm going to do it. I think I featured her on more podcast episodes than nearly any other singer, but she has not yet gotten the full Counter Melody treatment. So that's what's happening today in celebration of her birthday. Now, we heard what a soaring, silvery sound she has in the music of Richard Strauss. She's equally celebrated for her work in Baroque music and with historically informed performance practices. We're going to begin the episode listening to some of her work in that genre. Now, I also need to add that we are very lucky that Roberta Alexander has made a large number of recordings over the course of her career, many for the Dutch label, etc. She was born in Virginia, grew up in Ohio, and attended the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. But she has very strong ties with the Netherlands, where she has lived since 1975. And she sung a lot of Dutch music and a lot of American music, as well as the gamut of the operatic repertoire. Because I can't possibly do one single episode featuring a singer of such eclectic and varied repertoire. So what we're doing today is... Roberta Alexander in opera. And within the course of the next six weeks, I'm going to do a companion episode, Roberta Alexander in song. Now, the reason I played the Richard Strauss is that it's a treasured recording of mine, and I happen to know that this is a release of which she is particularly proud, but that never had a wide release. In fact, I do believe that it was a private issue. And besides, aren't the four last songs the most operatic leader that you've ever heard? I mean, this was my reasoning for including it today. Also because, sadly, we don't have any documentation of her singing the role of Daphne, for instance, which she did at Santa Fe toward the very beginning of her career. I just heard this opera at the Staatsoper, and while I admired the singer of the title role very much, I couldn't help but feel that she was somewhat undercast, as were all of the singers. It would have been lovely to encounter Roberta Alexander in that part back in the day. And hearing her performance of Frühling, one can only imagine how beautifully she would have sung that role. But, oh my God, here I am, talking, talking, talking. Let's start listening to some singing, shall we? This is Roberta Alexander singing one of the title roles in Gluck's reform opera Paride ed Elena, the male role of Paris, Paride. This is a song that's very familiar to all beginning voice students. O del mio dolce ardor, Paride's opening arioso. It must be said that while every singer probably knows this aria, it's very rare to hear it sung with such poise and elegance. This is a commercially published recording 
of a live performance that took place in Frankfurt in September 1991. Roberta Alexander is a lyric soprano, but she's a lyric soprano who can move into slightly heavier repertoire because of the carrying power of her instrument and because of her superb technique. She also has a real feel for the Baroque repertoire, and she worked extensively with the late conductor Nikolaus Harnoncourt. It's probably at this point that I should divulge that I was so honored and privileged to make the personal acquaintance of Roberta Alexander last year when she was appearing at the Berliner Staatsoper, and she kindly consented to lunch with me, and we had a wonderful time and discussed a wide gamut of issues. I did want to point out one thing that she said to me at that luncheon that's relevant here, and that is that Harnoncourt, in her words, never asked me to sing with less vibrato. This is a very important point for so many of the young singers out there performing in period style. 
Period style does not mean pulling off of your voice. It does not mean singing without vibrato. And yet that is what we hear applied across the boards. Now we're hearing Wagner singing, where singers take the vibrato out of their voice. It makes my head explode. Pardon me, I just needed to say that. And I'm going to supplement that with two examples of Roberta singing the music of Handel under the baton of Harnoncourt. Here's the first one. It's from a live recording from Vienna in March 1990 that was released on Taldeck of Handel's Oratorio Theodora, a work which strains toward opera and indeed in recent years has been seen quite frequently on opera stages. We're going to hear the aria with darkness deep, and there is a vocal quality here that I'm sure you will remark upon, and that is the extraordinary color that Roberta Alexander brings to her lower range. It's the most beautifully doleful kind of timbre, and it's one of the big reasons that I love her singing so much.
Here's another live performance from Vienna. This one is Roberta Alexander singing the role of Cleopatra in Handel's Giulio Cesare. This performance took place at the Theater an der Wien in May 1985. It's that moment in the last act that Cleopatra is expecting to be beheaded as she's being held prisoner by her brother, Ptolemeo, who is intent on not only conquering Julius Caesar, but eliminating his sister as well. The scene begins with Cleopatra bidding farewell to her faithful serving maids. And then suddenly, this being a live performance, we hear quite a bit of smashing around of props and scenery as Cesare, in the person of baritone Benjamin Luxon, appears on the scene. He and Cleopatra exchange a few short lines of recitative, and he goes off to see to Ptolomeo, and Cleopatra sings the famous aria Da Tempeste. Oh, <laughs> 
perhaps the composer with whom Roberta Alexander is most associated is Mozart, and rightfully so. She made her Met debut in 1983, singing Zerlina, and in that house alone she went on to perform Don Elvira, Countess in Le Nozze di Figaro, and Vitellia in La Clemenza di Tito. Her other great Mozart roles included Elettra in Idomeneo and the role which she herself told me was closest to her heart, Fior di Ligi in Così fan tutte. Sadly, we have limited documentation of her in some of these roles, particularly Fior di Ligi. But I think that the Met did a number of broadcasts with her in Mozart parts, so I imagine those can be heard on Sirius. What's interesting is that she would have gone so quickly from Zerlina to some of the, quote, big girl roles, like Vitellia. We're going to hear a brief excerpt of her in that role in a live recording from Venice in April 1986. This is an excerpt from Vitellia's Big Scena, Non Più di Fiori, and I heard Roberta in an interview say that this was a challenging role because here's Vitalia stirring up as much intrigue and insurrection as she possibly can until she gets called on the carpet, at which time she suddenly begins pleading for understanding and sympathy. Not an easy thing to bring off, but I think she does it beautifully. In this recording, Hans Wonk leads the orchestra of the Teatro La Fenice.
Roberta Alexander's most important recordings with Harnoncourt was as Elvira in his recording of Don Giovanni. While I am not enamored of all of the casting in this recording, I'm thrilled beyond words with Roberta's performance of Don Elvira, which was certainly one of her most important roles, Mozart or otherwise. The drama, the drive, the propulsion with which she and Harnoncourt explode into Elvira's recitativo in Qualiecesio Numi is absolutely shattering. And then they settle into a more moderate tempo for the Mitradi Rondo that nevertheless never becomes flaccid. It remains taut, it remains engaged, it remains vibrant, passionate. I have to keep reminding myself not to go all fangirl here, but honestly, this is one of the most exciting performances of this aria that I know, and one that can stand alongside those of the really great Don Elviras of all time. <laughs> Thank you. 
we're going to hear a number of unusual operas. But Roberta Alexander also was a superb interpreter of the standard lyric soprano repertoire. Not only the Mozart roles we were talking about before, but also Mimi in La Boheme and the role we're going to hear right now, Antonia in Les Contes d'Offman. We're going to hear a brief excerpt from the trio in which... Do I need to tell you the whole story? Maybe I do. So Hoffmann is in love in this act with Antonia, who is a young singer who's following in the footsteps of her mother, a famous opera singer who died tragically afflicted with a horrific disease, exacerbated by singing. Turns out that Antonia is suffering from the same disease. If she sings, she'll die. There is an evil doctor named Dr. Miracle who is doing all he can to encourage Antonia to sing and therefore, of course, to expire. He brings to life the portrait of Antonia's mother who encourages the hapless young woman to sing herself to death. Now, Offenbach has written a very, very, very taxing vocal line, especially in this trio, which hangs, hangs, hangs in the passaggio, then moves up, and poor Antonia has to sing a high C sharp at the very end. Now, how does a soprano keep from sounding like she's actually about to drop dead from singing this music? Well... Here's a very good example of how to actually bring that off. James Morris is Dr. Miracle, and Gwyneth Bean is the voice of Antonia's mother. This was a live telecast from 
roles that Roberta Alexander sang most frequently at the Met was that of Bess in Porgy and Bess. She performed this 18 times over the course of two seasons, the 84-85 season and the 85-86 season. The first time that this production had been revived since first being performed in 1982 with Grace Bumbry as Bess. She also made two different recordings of excerpts from that opera, and we're going to hear from the second of those, with Zubin Mehta conducting the New York Philharmonic and Greg Baker singing the role of Porgy, an excerpt from Bess, You Is My Woman Now, the recordings from 1991. Now, there's an extraordinary thing about Roberta Alexander. Well, there are so many extraordinary things. Let's be honest here. <laughs> but uh, the one thing I wanted to comment on is that she has continued to sing with unimpaired vocal ability into her 70s. In the year 2009, Nikolaus Honokur, yes, of the early music movement in the 60s and early 70s, conducted performances of Porgy and Bess in Graz, and Roberta Alexander was engaged to perform the role of Mariah, the self-appointed matriarch of Catfish Row and general overall busybody. She doesn't like sport and life very much. 
the drug dealer who's trying to push happy dust directly in front of her shop. And this is an encounter between the two of them, which now, these days, is a real highlight of performances of this opera. But it used to be cut all the time. What's astonishing about this is that it's like very early rap. I don't know how else to describe this. It's delivered in rhythmed speech, and it's so sassy, and it's no nonsense, and she is the best Mariah I've ever heard. Hands down. As Sport and Life, we hear briefly the tenor Michael Forrest. What do you think you're doing? That's tough cost Listen here. I ain't say nothing no matter how drunk you get these boys around here. On rod up with scare. But nobody ain't gonna peddle happy dust round my shop. Does you hear what I say? Oh, come on now, old lady. Let you and me be friends. Friend, would you know life? Hell no! I hate your strutting style. Yes, sir. And your goddamn silly smile. And your two cent diamonds and your five cent bucks. Oh, I hate your guts. Somebody's got to carve you up to set these people free. And the writing on the wall says it's a gonna be me. Some night when you is full of gin and don't know eyes about, I'm gonna take you by the tail and turn you inside out. Friend, would you know that? Hell no! <laughs> I figured it to break your bones. Yes, sir. One by one. And then I'm gonna carve you up and hang you in the sun. I'll feed your meat to the peasants and give them bellies. And take your bones to get it off the peasant rattlesnakes. Friend, would you know life? I fears I must decline. I'd sooner cut my own throat than call you friend of mine. In the fall of 2004, Roberta Alexander appeared alongside a star-studded cast in the world premiere of Peter Utwisch's theater piece, Angels in America, adapted, of course, from Tony Kushner's mammoth dramatic masterpiece. That fall, I was also working at the Châtelet, singing in a much less high-profile world premiere an opera called Le Luthier de Venise, with music by Gualtiero Dazzi, based on a children's picture book by Claude Clément. In all modesty, I can say that I think that that piece, though it didn't really have legs, was a much more successful piece as an opera than was Utwisch's Angels in America. But that premiere certainly got a lot of media attention. And part of it was because three iconic divas from the 80s were engaged to sing in that piece. Barbara Hendricks, Julia McGuinness, and Roberta Alexander. 
The strange thing about this opera is that there's actually a huge amount of speaking and not as much singing as you might expect. Also, the piece is very compacted into, I think, too short an evening to cover the monumental themes that Tony Kushner brings to his Angels in America. Roberta's roles in particular were set in a growly baritonal range so that one didn't even know that her voice at that point was intact. In fact, my dear friend Derek Lee Reagan, who was also in the cast, told me this wonderful story of being up in the dressing room area and hearing this voice intoning the most beautiful Mozart, and he had no idea who it was, and he stuck his ear up to all of the different dressing rooms, and of course we know whose room that sound was emanating from, none other than today's subject, Roberta Alexander. I saw the final dress of Angels in America as my production was winding down right before I left Paris. I have to say, I mean, I was thrilled to see Barbara Hendricks. I was thrilled to see Julia McGinnis. And I was thrilled to see Roberta Alexander. All three of them were extraordinary. And I thought each and every member of the cast made an indelible impression, particularly Daniel Belcher as Pryor. The opera opens with Roberta in the role of the rabbi officiating at a Jewish funeral. The performance was recorded and broadcast, and I'm going to play you just the very beginning. There's this amazingly guttural, melismatic vocal writing, and gosh darn it, if Roberta Alexander does not carry this off with the virtuosic aplomb that's really required for the part. I happened to hear an interview with her recently in which she referred to this production as a, quote, disaster, but she makes a very strong show. Hello and good morning. I am Rabbi Isidore Hamelich of the Hebrew. We are here this morning to 
of that premiere, people who had not encountered Roberta Alexander for a number of years just assumed that her voice was completely shot, and that's why she was performing mostly in speech or in that baritonal register. But they could not have been more mistaken. Everyone who experienced Roberta Alexander singing The Fifth Maid in the late Patrice Chéreau's production of Electra knows that her gleaming soprano remains intact. What is so extraordinary about this scene that takes place at the very beginning of the opera is that normally the fifth maid is portrayed as an ingenue, a very young girl who doesn't really know what end is up, and who's simply sticking up for Electra because she feels sorry for her. But in the case of the Chéreau production, casting Roberta Alexander in the part, once she had passed her 60th year, meant that here was an older servant who grew up in that household, who tended to Electra when she was a child, who knew Orestes, and who felt such strong allegiance and kinship with Electra and her siblings. So when she stands up for Electra, it's because she raised her. Anyway, it's an extraordinary moment, and I'm just going to play you from the performance in X, which was where this production premiered, her very brief moment that nevertheless was, for me anyway, the highlight of the production. continued to perform various iterations of that production in the major opera houses across Europe and even at the Met, where she returned after 25 years away. And she continues to appear in small parts. She appeared in the role of Curra in Forza del Destino at uh, Covent Garden, and I think she also did it at Nederlandse Oper. And in the fall of 2015, she appeared in the role of Marcellina 
in Mozart's Notzi di Figaro in a semi-staged production, dressed in the most hilariously frilly costume, and she is a consummate actor to her fingertips. And it's exactly this quality that she summoned so ineffably as Marcellina. We hear the duet between Marcellina and the bride-to-be Susanna, portrayed here by Belgian soprano Ilse Ehrens. Kenneth Montgomery leads the orchestra of the 18th century. thinking it would be nice now to feature Roberta Alexander in a number of the big lyric parts that she undertook in operas that are very rarely done and in some cases in which she was the primary prima donna associated with these works. First of all, we're going to hear an excerpt from a 1982 radio performance of Sergei Rachmaninoff's one-act opera, Francesca da Rimini. Interestingly, the libretto to this opera, a relatively early work of Rachmaninoff's, is by Modest Tchaikovsky, Piotr's brother. Structurally, the work's a little strange, but there is this amazing duet for Paolo and Francesca, and Roberta Alexander is positively radiant, even at the upper reaches of the tessitura in this portion that we're going to hear. It starts with Paolo reading an excerpt from that fatal book, 
followed by the comforting words of Francesca as he breaks down in tears. The tenor here is Adrian de Payet, and he's darn good too. Edward Downs leads the Omrop Orchestra. This performance took place in November 1982. <laughs>
One of the most important recording projects, I would say, of the late 20th century was the Antarctica Musik series published by Decca London Records. These were all recordings of music that had been suppressed by the Nazis and all too frequently their composers sent to concentration camps where all too many of them died. One Jewish composer who escaped Germany and made his home in England was named Bertolt Goldschmidt. One of a number of operas recorded by Decca for the Antarctica Musik series was one by Goldschmidt called Der Gewaltige Hanrei, The Magnificent Cuckold, which was based on a very problematic play by a Belgian playwright named Fernand Kromelink. The opera was completed in June 1930 and premiered in Mannheim in February 1932. The work was successful and productions were planned for Berlin with a codicil written into the contract that stated that the production could be called off for political reasons, which of course it was. Whereupon Goldschmidt managed to flee the country and resettle in the UK. When his two operas were revived and recorded in the early 1990s, Goldschmidt was already in his 90s, and he was there to experience the resurgence of interest and in the triumph of his work that had been so cruelly suppressed. It just so happens that Roberta Alexander participated in recordings of his two operas, Der Gewaltige Hanrei and Beatrice Cenci, which came years later. The first work, which was directly suppressed by the Nazis, is based on a play called Le Cocu Magnifique, by the Belgian dramatist Fernand Kromelink. To say it's a problematic text would be an understatement. Der Gewaltige Hanrei is the story of a man named Bruno who's morbidly jealous of his gorgeous wife Stella and is convinced that she is cheating on him behind his back. He sets up the most horrible series of situations, including making her sleep with his best friend so that he no longer has to be tortured by the idea that she may someday betray him. Later in the opera, he impersonates the man with whom he forced his wife to have sex, and she confesses her love for him. It is one royal mess. But we're going to hear that scene in which he's pretending to be his best friend Petrus, who also, by the way, is Stella's cousin. In listening to this, I was not sure if Stella actually is aware that her husband is masquerading or if she really thinks that this man who is wooing her is her cousin with whom she slept the night before. Like I said, it's a pretty tortured story and it doesn't have a happy ending, although it is billed as a sort of comedy. Anyway, the music sounds to me very much like Hindemith, that kind of Gebrauchsmusik thing going on, but it's an incredibly skillful piece. Ich bin dahin durch die T. 
After Goldschmidt emigrated to England, he was not able to sustain his compositional career, so he turned primarily to conducting and was employed by Gleinborn. I did mention the opera Beatrice Cenci, which he completed in 1951, and it won a prize during the Festival of Britain, but the work was not performed in total until a concert performance in London in 1988. Subsequently, the work was performed and recorded in Berlin, with the same forces, in fact, but a different record company, than were involved in Der Gewaltige Hanrei. One of the most beautiful things about this story is that very late in life, Goldschmidt resumed composing and wrote, among other things, a cello concerto for Yo-Yo Ma. All of this was a direct result of the Entartete Musik series. The conductor, by the way, is Lothar Zagrosek, and we hear the Deutsche Symphonie Orchester Berlin. The moment that we're going to hear from Beatrice Cenci, which, by the way, is another brutal story of rape, murder, and incest, based on a true story from Renaissance Italy, which in turn was made into a play by Shelley, from which Goldschmidt himself adapted his libretto. The moment we're going to hear is as Beatrice and her stepmother are about to go to the gallows for having engaged murderers to do away with their monstrous father and husband. And this is the most heartbreaking moment in the piece, I think, as Beatrice bids farewell to her brother, briefly voiced by the mezzo-soprano Fiona Kim.
another gruesome and bloody German opera from around that same period as Der Gewaltige Hanrei is the Austrian composer Egon Welisch's work Die Bacantinen, or The Bacchae. This work is, of course, based on the play by Euripides, which in turn was also set decades later by Hans-Werner Henze. The play is about the revenge of Dionysus against his cousin, King Pentheus of Thebes, and Pentheus's mother, Agave. Dionysus introduces rites into Thebes in which his followers are converted into a murderous band, and in their frenzy, the women of Thebes, led by Pentheus's mother, Agave, tear him limb from limb. We're going to hear a scene from the first act of Velesch's opera, which premiered in Vienna in June 1931 under the direction of Clemens Kraus. In it, Agave is beginning to fall into an altered mental state brought about by this devotion to the cult of Dionysus. Her son, Pentheus, in the person of Heldentenner Hans Aschenbach, appears to her, and in her altered mental state, she no longer recognizes him. In this 1999 recording, Gerd Albrecht leads the Deutsche Symphonie Orchester Berlin. It's interesting, I think, to hear Roberta Alexander in three different roles of music from approximately the same period. Different stylistically, characters all in extreme situations, voiced with this soaring, intensely felt quality throughout. Thank you. 
been such a joy to celebrate Roberta Alexander's birthday with you, wishing her many, many happy years of good health and joy in singing and in music. Reviving my tired voice for just a moment. Happy birthday, dear Roberta. Happy birthday to you. And many more. There's a lot of material that you can watch of Roberta Alexander on YouTube. Masterclasses interviews. I strongly encourage you to do this. She's a beautiful, down-to-earth person with no pretenses whatsoever, enormously dedicated to her craft. I'd like to end the episode today with the very final moments of Leos Janacek's opera Yenufa. Roberta Alexander's portrayal of the title character is something for the ages. She did productions at Glyndebourne and at the Met, and a video was made in 1989 of the Glyndebourne production. This is another extreme situation for the heroine, in which her beloved foster mother has just confessed to having drowned Yenufa's child born out of wedlock. The corpse of the baby has just been discovered, and the Kostelnichka, Yenufa's foster mother, has just confessed to the crime. The entire town has been assembled for the wedding of Yenufa to Latsa, her on-again, off-again boyfriend, and the invited guests disperse, leaving Yenufa and Latsa together alone. She tells him he must also go for there can be no future between the two of them. And yet, he insists on remaining with her, and they will build a new life together. And the opera ends in hard-won hopefulness and maybe even triumph. We hear Philip Langridge as Latza and Andrew Davis leading the London Philharmonic Orchestra.
dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.